0: You're listening to Outdoor Adventures with Jason, I'm Scott Haugen, proud to be a guest this week, and tune in to learn more about what I have going on in the world of hunting, fishing, outdoor riding, and TV.
1: Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you, from the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas, to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Killin' Sticks Arrows are for the serious hunter, a company that understands the needs of the outdoorsman and provides five different styles of carbon fiber arrows, ranging from hunting to tournament arrows. If you want premium carbon fiber arrows, go to Killinsticks. Sticks, Dot com to review their carbon arrows. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason show, use promo code OUTDOORS to get 10% off your first order. Killin' Sticks, where the blood trail begins. Welcome to this week's episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. I'm excited to have Scott Haugen on, who's a professional hunter. Uh, he's got numerous TV show credits to his name, including Game Chasers and The Hunt and a show called The Right Stuff. He's a prolific author with more than 15 books, 1,600 magazine articles, and that blows my mind, and more than 350 television show episodes. Scott, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, thanks, Jason. Glad to be here.
1: Oh, I'm glad to have you on, and I apologize, but your your biography, your background is so amazing. I want to make sure that the listeners got all that because...
0: Like... <laughs> yeah, well, I, I need to update it. The magazine writing has been going crazy. I think we'll, we'll be close to 3,000 articles uh, by the end of this year, I believe. So, yeah, it's just kind of Kind of never ending we 've been very blessed to uh make a living in the in the outdoor industry and it uh, was something I just set out to do for uh a year or two and here we are seventeen years later, still rolling so so the stars have aligned well, and we 're very blessed
1: wow so you 're up to three do you even have time to go outside anymore with that many writers?
0: <laughs> well, last year, uh, 2016, I think, uh, wrote 261 articles that we got out the door. So wow. plus, plus there's a lot of traveling. So I do a lot of writing in airports. You know, I, it's funny. I did TV for years for a living, but we don't, uh, don't watch tv in fact I kept track one year and I, I watched eight hours of tv one year and three hours last year so so I don't watch tv I, I spend most all all my free time uh, when I'm not with the family or out hunting and fishing I'm, I'm pretty much just riding away which which I love
1: well neat so you started off years ago as a high school teacher was it a science teacher
0: that's right yep uh, both my wife and I it was interestingly uh we grew up a little town of Walterville oregon, uh, not many people a small little town we both uh said would never we knew each other from first grade on both said would never marry anyone from this town because there was no one and <laughs> i uh I went to school at the University of Oregon. she went to Oregon state and um we hadn't seen each other for four years and we just happened to cross paths uh right when we were both graduating and and uh both of us oddly enough got our our teaching degrees and uh she She asked what I was going to do with mine. I said, you know, I move into Arctic Alaska because I I love to trap. Um, I grew up trapping here in Oregon. I said I want to trap wolves with the Eskimo people up there, the Anupiut Eskimos, and I want to lead a subsistence lifestyle and just hunt up there with some of the last great subsistence hunters in Arctic Alaska. And she says, well, you better go now because you're never going to find a a woman to go up there with you. 4 months later we were engaged and 9 months later we were married and both of us teaching school in Arctic Alaska and that was 27 years ago so again something went right there <laughs> well, awesome.
1: so you've really covered the gamut if you were you in a hunting family did you grow up in a family that was a, a lot of hunting and fishing
0: yeah, we did. Yeah, both my wife and I did. Uh, both sides of our family hunted a lot. Uh, we live here in Western Oregon. Her her family homesteaded this area in the mid eighteen hundreds, and and they did a lot of deer hunting around here and elk hunting. So it was something we grew up with. I've been shooting guns and fishing ever since I was you know, old enough to walk. Uh, and and it's just something that that's been a part of our our family and our culture uh, to, for our entire life.
1: And then you're able to pass that on to the kids, which is really fantastic.
0: Yeah, we we had some good times. It was, uh, yeah, the kids. Gosh, they're they're teenagers now. They're 15 and 17, but they uh, they, they grew up with us hunting and and being teachers. Uh, we were able to you know homeschool them when we were on the road. When we got decided to, to uh, jump on the opportunities to do this uh, uh, for a living through TV, we were on the road a lot. There were a couple times I was hosting two different shows at one time so you know I was going on 60-65 big game hunts a year and that's a lot of road time and and we took the kids with us a lot and homeschooled them and and they were part of our show uh, here and there too so it, it worked out really well for us
1: what led you to because a lot of people say oh gosh you got a great job as teachers husband and wife you got summers off and all the stuff that goes along <laughs> uh, what led you to take that leap of faith into the hunting career the television career
0: you know, it's it's a really good question because I didn't seek it at all. It was uh, one of those things when, when we moved to Alaska, and uh, it, and I just loved it up there. the the modern day subsistence lifestyle was was unmatched. It's hunting on a whole different level that that no one, unless you live that experience, you know, can, can you really relate to it and understand what it's like to to really hunt for food and being able to go out for caribou and moose and uh, grizzly bear and doll sheep, and and you know, do all the fishing we did up there and the bird hunting was was just a phenomenal thing, and and to tie it in with a with an indigenous culture that had been doing it, you know, for thousands of years, and and learn from from the outdoorsmen up there, the it was just a just an incredible experience, and. And so what we we taught in Arctic Alaska for for what seven years, and then we moved to an international school in Sumatra, Indonesia, where we taught for four years. Well, the day we got hired in January, um, we were having a little snowstorm and uh, a little bit of a wind chill up in Arctic Alaska. Uh, Alaska it was 104 below zero, and where we got hired to teach on Sumatra uh the island of Sumatra in Indonesia, we were a half mile north of the equator and it was a hundred and four above zero there. So, so so the the day we signed our contract it was a two hundred and eight degree temperature change. Well I'd rather spend my days in forty below than a hundred, you know, above and, you know, a hundred percent humidity. So that's where I started writing and and I wrote my first uh, few magazine articles there and then wrote uh, a book for Safari Press on my adventures up in Alaska and that book called Hunting the Alaskan High Arctic. Um, they figured it would take about three years to sell out, and it actually sold out in three months. It was our fastest selling limited edition book ever, and I thought, gosh, this is pretty neat, being able to share experiences and relive through writing and, and so forth, and and uh, we we moved back home, getting ready to move back home, and I actually had been doing quite a bit of magazine writing. By this time, I was writing for over, um, gosh, 30 magazines around the world, hunting and fishing magazines, and had written an article for Cabela's um, Outfitter Journal in what 1999 and 2000, filmed a uh, fishing episode for him, and and it uh, was up for some awards. I wasn't really into that, and and uh, but it did well, and they were happy. And another production came, um, company called Wolf Creek Productions out of uh, Michigan saw the show, and and long story short, they picked me up. I started hosting a couple of shows for them, and then. Then a year after that the outdoor channel picked me up and i I used to do startup shows for them I did gosh three or four different startup shows for the outdoor channel um, around two thousand to two thousand five somewhere in there and uh, and it uh it, everything just kind of picked up from there and took off it was something I really didn't look to get into but it was really good timing for tv and and back then TV was really a uh a platform of education and you know being a, being a teacher, and as you can tell I, <laughs> I like to talk because that 's how you get information across to people, so that 's what they wanted in TV back then, and it worked out good and we we had a fun ride, but like I said, it wasn 't something that we intended to get into it was just something that uh, just followed our passion and we're, we're very fortunate to make the living a good living at it for a while.
1: for a lot of the listeners, if you're not familiar with any of Scott's shows, Scott has the honor of being one of the first or one of the first couple of shows on netflix with the hunt which is a few years old but it's still a neat for those of us into outdoor programming and liking to watch hunting shows having you show up on on netflix to be able to watch your episodes on demand for that first season is really something pretty cool
0: yeah you know that that was a big a big breakthrough when we uh you know got the call that it might happen and we had to you know uh, rework some some things with some editing to. To get all the shows in their hand, and it was a kind of a short notice deal. And you know, kind of the thing—you throw it to them and cross your fingers and hope it, hope it works out. And and we were very fortunate; it did. And and uh, um, the the show's been—we've been getting you know really really good feedback from hunters. It makes you realize when you hit a a mainstream platform like that. You know, I've been involved with just the hunting networks for 15 years: the sportsman's Channel, the Outdoor Channel. uh, um, gosh, we did ESPN, um, NBC Sports. We've done some stuff, uh, did some other networks in Canada and so forth. But you know, when you hit Netflix and it's a worldwide platform, you know, you're 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 out there, and uh, it makes you realize how many non-hunters are out there and what a voice they have. Uh, uh, you know, when they see a hunting show like this on on TV, and and it was good because Steve Renella's show is on there as well, and and they're they're basically two different shows. Mine is very, you know. Educational, informative show. I I talk quite a bit and try to to educate people. And I've involved my boys in the show. And and uh, you know I'm not a very good entertainer and don't claim to be. And and you know hunting TV I don't think really should be about entertaining. It's about you know getting getting good eating meat for the table and being out there with the family and having fun and teaching people how to do that. And and uh, Steve Stevenella's show Meteor. Um, you know, one of the best shows ever produced. You know, he uh, does a phenomenal job of taking it the next step and you know, going from from the field to the table. And and that's kind of neat because my wife, she writes um, big game and and bird and fish cookbooks for a living. So um, so her and Steve Renell have a lot of a lot of things in common there. So it's uh, it's been a really good platform for us uh, uh, to to be able to get out there. It's been really good for the hunting world to to share with the rest of the world to let them see what you know what hunting is about
1: it's interesting because the two shows that they chose to put on to start with are not what you think of as your typical hunting shows you you <laughs> both uh you and, and steve Renella both have a prolific you know education background as far as teaching writing uh and and really looking at educating people on what the overall hunt is about and the experience and not just Going out and chasing a, a set of antlers, so it's really neat that they chose those two shows to to start off with.
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks, and 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 I I agree. It was uh, you know they wanted something that was educational. They wanted uh, um, you know they wanted something that, that wasn't necessarily entertaining, but something that you know showed people you know hey this is this is how you can go out and do this, and you know this is how you go about you know. Hunting an animal, and this is how you take care of them, and this is how you prepare them, and preserve them, and cook them, and and eat them. So it was, you know, it was a well thought out plan. It wasn't just grab two hunting shows and, you know, make it happen. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first to admit there are a lot better TV hosts than I am out there, and and uh, you, you know a lot more enthusiastic. But when outdoor TV started, you know, years ago, um, gosh, when I first got into TV, there were there were about 80 um, hunting TV shows out there nationwide. Now there are over 800. So you, you look at the the direction that, that outdoor TV has gone over the years, and it's really changed, and it was largely, you know, hosts were usually selected uh, based on their knowledge. There were a lot of us who were outdoor writers who were TV show hosts. Um, Jim Shockey, of course, still going at it, one of the greats, Bob Robb, um, Craig Boddington, and you know, s- several others who who were educated, and none of us really liked being on uh, in front of the camera, but again, we thought it was a really good opportunity to, to educate not only, you know, fellow hunters, but but non-hunters as well, or people who are looking to get into into the field of hunting. And, and uh, recently, you know, with so many shows out there, and, and now TV ratings, you know, playing the biggest part of, of whether or not, you know, there's going to be a show on TV, the the, the platform has switched to more of one of, of, of entertainment. And that's, uh, I, I think sometimes when that happens, it, it's, you know, hunting is a very difficult um, i guess event to to accurately portray without overstepping the line of entertainment and you know sometimes i'll get excited you know you hunt for an animal for you know a week week and a half and you finally get a shot and yeah i get excited i mean that's (laughs) you know that that's part of the hunt but at the same time it's uh you know it's a fine line to uh, you know to lose that focus towards the entertainment side which uh, then sometimes sacrifices losing the education of the hunt
1: yeah very well said and you can see that in some of the shows that might come out a a season, even a few episodes, uh they don't resonate well or they they might have a good concept but once they put it on film it just doesn't work. It's you've definitely seen a major change in the television industry slash the hunting industry over the last what, 15 years since you've 17 years you've been involved in it?
0: Yeah, definitely you have and it's uh it, it, it's been hard to watch you know, go by, and, and TV, out, hunting TV, I don't want to say it was destined to fail from the outset, but it was destined to not succeed to, to its full capability, and that was because the, the outdoor networks, um, you had you had to buy your TV time, so you, you had to pay for your time on the air, you had to pay them to be on the air, and then on top of that, you had to round up sponsors, you know, who would pay, um, you know, your salary, you know. Now, I was fortunate because I worked for the Outdoor Channel for, for several years, you know, hosting their shows, or I should say they hired me to host the shows, and then they, they hired another producer to produce those shows. So so my contract, um, you know, I, I, I didn't have to, to go knock on doors and round up sponsors. That was all taken care of. But, uh, uh, you know, but but nowadays where, where you have so many shows that are, that are, you know, basically knocking on the same sponsors' doors and the sponsors aren't paying near what they used to. Now you have instead of 8 or 10 sponsors per episode, you're having, you know, 15, 20, even more and with people tivoing, <laughs> you know, they're recording the shows and fast-forwarding through the commercials, well, you know, advertisers, you know, they pick up on that. So in order to get your ad dollars, now you have to show the product and talk about it on TV where, you know, years, years ago, you just, you you didn't even talk about products. You just went out and, you know, you did the thing and, and, you know, the product was represented in in the show type of thing. But, but now where, uh, you know, where, where that's kind of taken away, it's, it's kind of put, you know, it's kind of put people in a hard spot. And, and again, where we, you know, where outdoor TV has to buy the airtime, uh, that's tough and and all the other you know uh tv platforms out there the networks buy your shows from you so right. so they're investing in you and, and and it's tough it puts everyone in a hard spot
1: yeah it's a not only do you have to pay for your tv time to get your show but then the consumer has to generally pay extra to actually get the channel
0: yeah that's exactly so right yeah you
1: end up with not as many viewership eyes as you probably should or that the that your sponsors are hoping on or gaming on because not everybody subscribes to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it used to be cheap, you know, only fifteen, sixteen years ago, it was part of the regular cable package. And yeah, it seems to, seems to keep going up, up in price. So yeah, there there are a lot of challenges with it.
1: And as we look at this, with all the years you've been hunting, is there one particular hunt that you can think of in the in your mind that says? This stands out as not necessarily the most dangerous or anything, but probably one of your more memorable ones that can bring up and share with the listeners.
0: Well, you know there, yeah, there, there's been a few. There's, uh, I, you know, when I got out of outdoor TV, I, I uh, you know, I, I, I kind of stepped out of it with the notion of not looking back. But I think, you know, if I was to go back into TV, um, which I don't have the desire to right now, but I, you know, would mind going and doing a bird show where I have my dogs so I could, uh, you know, share, share the adventures of my dogs with people. That's fun. People love the dogs. Uh, um, you know, as far as, as what the the most memorable hunts before my TV career um, was going after man-eaters, and I would love to do a show that, uh, that just focused on hunting man-eaters around the world, but that's something that'd uh, be hard to gather that much footage. But when when we first moved to Alaska, there was a a man-eating polar bear that uh, that I'd actually tracked down and and uh, and killed in, in the village. there. It, it, it had killed a man, and and I tracked it down. Forty-two below zero temperatures. Uh, you know, December, so twenty-four hours of darkness, and was out there with a flashlight on the on the pack ice of the Arctic Ocean, and and uh, came up on the bear and. and uh, and the body there, and and finish the thing off there. There were some, gosh, the man-eating lions we got in Africa again. This was before TV, and they'd been killing livestock and people in a in a really remote village. And and uh, I got in there uh, with a friend who actually worked for the government at the time, and and they'd killed some some uh, people and livestock the night the night my plane landed in in Africa. Actually, this is in South Africa, right on the edge of Kruger Park, and. Oh gosh, this is I don't know, 20 some years ago now, <laughs> uh, 22 years ago I guess somewhere in there, and, uh, and we went out with predator calls and and uh, got a donkey uh, from the king of the village there that we used for bait and tied it to a tree and called in these these lions and they they ended up coming in about four in the morning. Uh, we called all night. It was it was uh, gosh in the 20s. It was cold and called the whole pride in and and I shot one and and the, the other three ran off. We called them back in, and they were feeding on the donkey. They'd killed it at this point, and that government buddy that uh, that I was with, he shot one, and then we got another, That got the other one to come in. Couldn't call the fourth one in, so we went and got a uh, a flashlight, and we were trying to, to track it through tall yellow grass, but the grass ended up being about five feet high, and we could see the cat's eyes glowing yellow, and we just, you know, we, we couldn't get to it. The cat kept, kept trying to get behind us, so we went and Went and uh, got in his little uh, Toyota 4Runner and got a, uh, a, a, a local person from the village to help us out. So I, w- I was driving and he was uh, he was up on up on the rack with his gun and the other guy was holding a flashlight and I was just driving by the beam of their light and he knocks on the hood of the truck and I put the brakes on and and there's a muzzle blast just right off the right off the windshield. I mean I, I thought it almost hit the front bumper and I thought gosh darn I didn't. You know, step on the brakes that hard where it, you know, caused him to misfire, and then he shoots again, and uh, same thing. Fire was just, I mean, inches from, you know, my face from the windshield there, and I looked, and there's a tail of a of a of the lion, um, just flopping back and forth right there. The cat was running. I couldn't see it because the grass was too tall, but the cat was running uh, right at the front of the rig, and he shot it just right in the head as it was just getting ready to jump up over over the top of the vehicle there. So it was. Uh, it was a it was a pretty dicey thing, but I, gosh, we, when we lived in Sumatra, I got a call to go after uh, a man-eating uh, Sumatra tiger. There, I've been after man-eating you know crocodiles in Africa as well. So, so the man-eaters, I, I like those. They 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 inflict a different element of uh, um, I guess intensity than than any other hunting that I've experienced. But as far as capturing something on film, it was a brown bear hunt that we got up in Alaska. I got a ten foot nine inch brown bear, which was to me the ultimate uh, North American. Big game animal, and that actually that show is going to air sometime uh, this year on on, uh, on I think Sports of Fields uh, TV show. So all kinds of adventures out there, Jason. Because <laughs>
1: there is an episode on Netflix in your current season where you guys go to Kodiak Island, and that was a pretty cool yeah. episode.
0: Yeah, that was a fun one. That was with Paul Brunsman, who uh, worked for Trigicon at the time, and yeah, he went up there and made a beautiful shot on a on a bear and experienced Alaska and. Yeah, it's, uh it, it it was a it was a fun fun series. Uh, uh that that was season 1 of The Hunt which we filmed gosh 5 years ago, I believe, and it originally aired on the on the Sportsman Channel. And we do have season 2 and 3 that are ready to roll. We just have to see if Netflix is going to uh, commit to another season or not.
1: Well, that means that everybody that's listening to this, head over to Netflix and tell them you want more of The Hunt. Tell them you want to see more and let your voice be heard. Like the show, they now do a thumbs up or thumbs down mm-hmm. instead of stars. So, give it a thumbs up.
0: Okay. Yeah, boy, yeah, and and that's so true because what they're basing the you know the future of of hunting shows on and what they're going to pick up is is the ratings and and you get on there and see and you, you wouldn't have wanted to be me the first few weeks this came out it was uh, you know the hate mail you get and the death threats you get you know that's all part of it but it just was greatly escalated once they hit you know um, mainstream, you know, access TV, you know, worldwide. It was, uh, pretty brutal what people had to say, but it just showed you that, Hey, there's a, you know, the non hunters are really being heard out there and all we really need is support from other hunters. And, you know, not just for my show, but it's a, it's a great opportunity for, you know, other shows, again, shows that are better than mine, um, to get on there. And, and, um, it, you know it be a voice for hunters and and a lot of you know a lot of hunters hide behind you know their words or their image and boy if you know you, if you're not willing to stand up for what we love to do in america here then then you know it, it really makes it tough to get the message out there and educate the, the uneducated
1: and that's been i i've said this before it's one of hunters biggest problems is not anti-hunters it's apathy
0: yeah it's... yeah it is Yeah, and, you know, I I just got done speaking uh, last week at the International Hunter Education Conference. uh, It was actually in my home state of Oregon, and it was, uh, you know, it it was a great event, you know, hunter education instructors from around the country and and from every single state and from multiple countries, and, and I was asked what I thought the biggest challenges were for, you know, hunting's future, and I said, believe it or not. I said, I don't think it's the anti-hunters. I said, I think it's the attack from from fellow hunters. It's it's unreal the number of fellow hunters who will drag you down, and and I think TV has a large part, to, and social media are playing a large part in in that nowadays because hunting has turned into a to a competition, and you know, in the old days people offered support and and nice. uh, you know encouraged you to keep going, but. You know, now you have people that are commenting and dragging you down. People have never, you know, been behind or in front of a camera to film a TV show, and, you know, having filmed over 450 of them, you know, TV shows, it's, you know, it's it's not like hunting by yourself out there. You're putting on a production, and and, uh, you know, yet you're trying to to accurately, you know, portray it as best you can, and and it's tough. But but boy, it you know, it, I, I don't really mind the hate mail from. Uh, you know from anti-hunters but when a fellow hunter gets on there and and you know tears you down and it, it's like really there's seven percent of us who hunt in this country and, and and we can be you know at each other's throat we have to support one another if, if you're really into it for the good of hunting and and, and that's, a, that's a real real hurdle to overcome right now.
1: Oh, I agree. The one that drives me nuts is, I only hunt for this, so anybody else that hunts something different is wrong. It's like, well, wait a minute. That makes you the ultimate hypocrite. If the person has an actual license and it's, it's a legal hunt, I might not want to participate in that type of hunt, but I'm not going to step on somebody's toes that does. If it's legal, go for it. Get outside. Spend yep. your money. Spend yep. those yeah. tax dollars.
0: You're exactly right. Well said, and that's and that's what that's what this is about is showing all those different avenues. I mean, hunting animals over bait, or you know, uh, on a ranch in Texas, uh, you know, or, or you know, somewhere in Africa. It's it's about sharing all the different experiences out there. So yeah, what you said is is exactly 100 percent right on.
1: Well, no, one of the things, speaking of hunting, is you've written a number of books. One of them that really intrigues me, and I'm, I'm going to pick up to read, is bow hunting the West and beyond. Mm-hmm. Do you have a particular type of weapon, rifle, gun, or you're an equal opportunity?
0: You know, I'm pretty much equal opportunity. I don't care if it's, you know, one of those or a slingshot or, you know, as long as I'm out there having fun. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't really care. And Like you said, as long as it's legal, you know, that's one of the things that has been a real blessing to be able to do this for a living as I've been able to experience a lot of different, you know, ways to hunt, you know, game animals all around the world from, you know, crossbows to bows to, you know, rifles to shotguns to long-range guns to ARs and, you know, it's been a, it's been a fun learning experience for me and that's, that's part of what I love is, is learning new things and passing those, you know, opportunities on to other people as well. So, no, I'm I'm not a purist anything. Um, I I just love to get out there hunting, and and uh, I don't care when it is or where it is. Uh, you know, I I just love to get out there because you know if it wasn't for hunting, uh, gosh, I've been to I don't know forty some countries, but uh, if it wasn't for hunting, I I wouldn't be inclined to get out and travel. I'm not gonna climb a mountain just to watch the sunset, or you know, go somewhere to watch the sun sunrise but if if i have a gun or a bow in my hand and, and it, it's hunting that's taken me there then you know that's a different story
1: so you do you've covered all the various types of hunting as you just listed uh for somebody that's looking to get into bow hunting do you have any good tips or, or spots where they should start i mean your bow hunting book says it's really about is it more like your adventures or is it is it kinda of some know-how along with your adventures?
0: You know, the, the, there's, there's some know-how tied into it. You know, it's interesting, we talked earlier about the magazine articles. You know, when I first started writing the first few years my average word count per feature was about 3,000 words and over 90 percent of the articles were adventure pieces. They were just on the story of the hunt, you know, take you there, you know, bring those sights, smells, and sounds to life and that's what it was now, um today, my average word count for a feature article is fifteen hundred words, and about oh gosh about ninety ninety five percent of it is all how to and gear related stuff. There's very little um out there that 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 magazines are picking up in terms of the adventures of the hunt and and again, I think you know a lot of that obviously comes down to sponsors and you know or paid advertisers, I should say, but Um, but also trying to educate people you know as as hunting numbers decline or i should say the people the number of licenses um you know being sold nationwide decline uh more of an effort to to try to um get people involved through you know teaching them how to do it um but i I don't know if i buy into that Uh, I, i i you know for me when i go out there it's you know, it's about the adventure. It's about the the tranquility and and you know the sights and smells and the birds singing in the woods and you know the the flowers blooming on that spring bearer turkey hunt and you know the the the, the sound of rushing water and the smell of fresh rain. You know, bringing that to, to life. That that's the experience I want. And so that's what I what I try to uh, capture in, in the bow hunting the west book. It's um, you know it's an adventure book, but again, there there are some how to elements see, that are that are outlined in there as well and um, you know that you can glean from that but uh, bow hunting has come so far that the technological advancement of bows in the last twenty years it, it's pretty easy to go into a bow shop now and, and get fixed up and be shooting a, a pretty darn good group within a couple hours time and I see that a lot but one of the biggest mistakes that I see being made was I, I live not far from Bowtech uh, the Bowtech factory and I used to host our TV show for them and and the the highest number of their their bow sales throughout the course of the year um, were within two days of when the the Oregon's bow hunting season started, oh, and it was people you know largely who didn't draw a tag and they wanted to go bow hunting so they went and bought a you know uh, over the counter deer tag and then they went and bow hunting. Well that well that that's great that they're getting into it but um, but boy that's <laughs> that's tough. So I, I would start now. I mean you know here we are in the middle of summer. This is a perfect time to go get fitted for a bow. You'll be shooting good groups with it and, and just keep shooting that thing every day and studying animals, the animal's anatomy, um, you know, know where your shot placement should be um, because ultimately if you don't have the experience of shooting that bow and having it feel second nature by the time of the hunt, um, you, know, you could end up crippling an animal, which, which we don't want.
1: Right. I'm uh, considered mobility impaired. So I generally Uh hunt with a crossbow, but I'm getting the itch to try and add a vertical bow into my my collection, and so it looks like a lot of fun. I can't go out and do all the stalking and the things that, uh, long distance, I'm just not capable of walking that far. Mm -hmm. It looks like a lot of fun, and there really is, for lack of a better term, a religion that's built up around bow hunting. There's (laughs) just, and there's, the neat thing is there's everything from the mom-and-pop shops that... Uh, you can get yourself set up to, to the big box store retail uh, places. They all generally have archery lanes or can put you in an area with an archery lane. And as you said, you can be practicing within a few hours of, you know, heck, buying the bowl.
0: Yeah, yeah, you really can. And it, and it's great. We've been with Cabela's for years, and we do a, a lot of, uh, my wife and I do a lot of seminars at Cabela's stores, um, gosh, around the country, and some, you know, bigger sports show events for them as well. and. And that's—it's been a really neat progression to watch over the last twenty years. Uh, is, uh, the bow makes its place into a Cabela's store, and and you know where it used to be such a struggle to set one up and go, and and you know now you can get back there like you say they have the shooting lanes, they have you know qualified personnel to to help out, and you know you can walk out of there with a pretty good package nowadays at a, at a pretty reasonable price. You know the bow and the sights and the quiver and and your rest and and your arrows and. And you're ready to go and, and, you know, making that transition, you know, a smooth, easy one where a person is, you know, walking in and having no clue what's going on and walking out a couple hours later, shooting a good group, you know, there, there, there's a, a feeling of confidence there. And, and it's, it, it's fun. It's a fun, fun sport to be a part of.
1: Yeah, it looks like it. And, and I, like I said, I enjoy the crossbow hunting. So it's just, it's just turning it on its side and, and trying it that way. It's,
0: <laughs> yeah yep. Yeah, it's all fun they're all good challenges that's for sure
1: and with that now you got both of your you have two boys correct
0: yep yep we do
1: you got both of them into the hunting and fishing lifestyle do you see a lot of this going on when you do your seminars at cabela's or any of these other places uh the hunters education association i think that's what you called it uh do yep. you do you see a lot of this, uh, any growth, or, or where do you see the growth coming from, if you see any?
0: Yeah, you know that that is an outstanding question, and and I do a lot of radio interviews and I do a lot of podcasts over the course of the year, and I don't know if anyone's asked me that question, <laughs> but I speak about it all the time. Um, you know, this is my seventeenth year of of, of doing uh, offering seminars and, and again sports shows around the country and. You know, Cabela's stores and, and, and events and and uh, conventions and so forth. And you know, seventeen years ago, fifteen, seventeen years ago, um, it, it it was nothing to get two hundred, two hundred and fifty people into a seminar. And you know, gosh, probably sixty, seventy percent of those were um, you know men in their you know twenties, thirties with their children. So it was a large makeup of of dads and kids wanting to hunt. Nowadays, you know, the same seminars in the same places, you're, you know, you're, average, you're lucky to get 20 or 30 people in there, and my average age is over 55 uh, with, with that. And, and what I'm seeing are a lot of, uh, uh, and almost all males. Uh, what, uh, my fishing seminars, I'm getting more females and, and kids in there the last couple of years, but, but the hunting seminars are largely males, um, you know, 55 years old. They, they did it once or twice with dad or grandpa growing up, liked it. Um, they've now had a successful you know you know life the kids have you know gone off to college now and uh... they've had a good business and they want to get back into it so in the seminars that i'm doing and i'm mostly you know uh, hunting throughout the west deer elk antelope bear you know turkey seminars things like that Um, you know these, these are the people who i'm seeing That's, you know that 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 that's tough when you're trying to you know recruit new hunters and and the average age is is, is that, and th- this is where the, uh, you know, the Hunter Education Association, you know, comes in, 4-H is another big one, uh, another good organization who's making a big push now for youth, and and offering some really good educational programs to hope, you know, helpful, uh, hopefully you know, help draw the, these youth in, um, because it is, it's something we're, we're losing nationwide, but at the same time, I don't think, you know, people should panic, you know, go to a um, you know, a high school football game. The crowds aren't what they used to. You know, step into any big church and anywhere, and the crowds aren't what they are what they used to be. So, you know, numbers are dwindling in a lot of public events. And you know, not saying that we're doing anything wrong. I think it's more of a question of what can we do right. You know, within the hunting industry, we're you know largely made up of, of older, older. um you know, adults and, you know, with the, with the world of social media and iPhones and iPads nowadays, what, what can we do differently to try to target that younger crowd and, and possibly pique interest in them?
1: And, and that's why I brought that up is when I was a kid growing up, I grew up in Michigan, and school uh-huh. was closed the first day of deer season and the first day of pheasant season. <laughs>
0: the every, way it should be.
1: <laughs> right. And every kid, every young man generally went through hunter's education. Looking back on it, I look back now and say, as a father with daughters, where were the women? Where were the girls? Yeah. Really weren't there. And that was probably a spot where, you know, 40 years ago, we probably should have made some changes. But I do know there's programs to get archery involved in the elementary and high school level age kids and some different inroads that are being made. Uh, So I really hope we can get a common sense approach to handling firearms and shooting and just the outdoor lifestyle in general introduced to the kids so that they're not filled with a lot of misinformation
0: yeah you're exactly right and and, uh you know you know the challenge is how to you know how to reach those kids um in you know there's all kinds of case studies that have been done and and uh you know from broken homes to you know single parents to um you know kids kids exploring you know like i said things things indoors instead of outdoors so so there's a lot of speculation, but like you say, something there's you know some programs that need to be, um, I think considered, and you know things that haven't even been thought of yet. Um, we've been doing some live Facebook broadcasts. I've been working with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, and and you know shooting tape TV is one thing, but when you're out there shooting live. Basically, a live broadcast that that you're showing on Facebook to more people than any you know t v show is ever going to reach <laughs> you know you you're you're putting yourself on the line out there and yeah gosh I think it, one there was we uh broadcast a live duck hunt uh one time and we were out there for two hours it was cold it was you know in, in the upper twenties and gosh we were there for for two hours and I think we killed like two two ducks it was just i mean it was real t v it was you, you know how how a real hunt goes and and at one point we had over half a million viewers on that thing and, and the questions that were generated were fantastic it's like how many decoys are you using how are you setting them you know what kind of calls do you make you know it, it provided a really good platform for people to ask questions and and you know not feel bad about them i mean there's no such thing as a dumb question and it showed you the level of interest you know from experienced duck hunters who were getting on their offering advice to to you know people who have never done it who want to get out there so so I think that's that's something that that uh, you know that people should look at exploring and and maybe tie kids into that as well. Make them make them a part of it. You know, broadcast a live you know 4-H event or hunter education event or you know if they're doing blood trailing in their you know in their you know um, schooling. Part of getting their their hunter certification, or if they're doing you know bow hunting inside of a school, maybe maybe get a kid to broadcast that and share other kids with uh, share it with other kids. I, I think we need to t- make the youth more involved instead of just uh, you know passive participants in in today's uh, you know effort to seek out more more hunters.
1: Yeah, you go where your audience is, and and we know that they enjoy the facebook's the snapchats the whatever else they they use so integrate those with the with the learning process and and make both of them enjoyable and fun.
0: Yep, you're exactly right.
1: With all that you've done in the past, what do we have going on in the future? What's what's the future? <laughs> what do you have planned for the
0: future? You know, I don't know. I for years I've just <laughs> my wife says that too. It's like, well, what are we doing, you know, this year? How are, you know, how are things looking? It's like, you know, that, I don't know. I pretty much just throw up my hands and, and let God take care of it. And he just keeps opening doors for us. And, and we're very, we're very blessed with that. It's, uh, it's very, very difficult to make a true living in the outdoor industry. When I first got into freelance writing, which is how I, uh, you know, made my living the first couple of years, um, there, there were about 400 of us in the country that were, you know, where the family was 100% supported by by an outdoor rider. Now that number is less than 50. So the numbers have dwindled. So with that, I've just had to, you know, kind of adapt and change. So this last year, you know, we started a little booking service, um, you know, helping people, um, you know, go on guided hunts to, you know, a few places we've been around the world in Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and, in Alaska, a couple places out west, but it's something I don't want to get into, you know, big time, a big time booking agent. I just want to, you know, provide some opportunities for people looking to go on some of these, you know, you know, exciting hunts around the world. I guess it might be difficult for them to, you know, um, to arrange themselves. And having been there personally, you know, helps helps kind of relate to them. Um, writing projects keep picking up. Video. I'm doing more video work for companies. It seems that some. Uh, Companies in the industry are are um, stepping away from TV sponsorships and wanting um, you know short educational videos, thirty second to uh, you know two minute videos offering you know hunting tips and, and fishing tips. So so we're doing that and, and uh, gosh the writing magazine writing is still still going crazy for us. So as I hear a lot of writers you know whining about work, it's it's been something that again we've been very fortunate as as opportunities keep. Keep coming our way, and editors keep you know seeking us out for for more uh, for more content. So yeah, that's the you know that Yeah, I, I think it's coming back around, uh, and, and quality of photography. You know, I I do a lot of well, I do all my own wildlife photography as well. So there, it's always changing, and I think that's what's kept it fun and refreshing for me. You know, I'd rather rather work 16 hours a day at my hobby than eight hours for someone else, and that's just kind of. Kind of the way I've always been, right or wrong, it's uh, something we've, we've enjoyed.
1: <laughs> I can certainly understand that. Now, one of the trips you have listed out there is uh, going into Zimbabwe. That was my, uh-huh. so far, first and only trip to Africa has been to hunt in Zimbabwe.
0: Ah, oh, how was it? Oh,
1: I loved it. It was yeah. like anything I'd ever experienced in my life. Um, <laughs> fu- flew into Bulawayo. Uh Stayed there with a friend's family for a couple days. Uh, His family, his dad is a uh, Baptist minister in in the Bulawayo area. So I was able to attend church in Bulawayo Uh and then uh, headed down into south central Zimbabwe to hunt uh, on a big Uh old farm. It was part of the uh, uh, Bubiana uh, Valley Conservancy. Oh, yeah. Oh, 600,000 plus acres in total, but we yeah. had uh, 55,000 acres to hunt, and I was the only one there.
0: <laughs> Isn't that something?
1: It was unlike anything. I'm sitting there one morning. It's 530 in the morning. It's light out, and I had been out there watching. Didn't have my camera. Every morning, there was a herd of waterbuck out there, so I was watching oh. them just kind of mess around, and all of a sudden, they formed a real tight circle. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know what I'm watching. You know, I just figure... There must be something out there that has them nervous, and then they kind of went up over a hill and down into where the the river was, and next thing you know, here comes out of the woods a pack of wild dogs, and they ran in front, stopped, kind of looked at over at the lodge. They were, you know, 200 yards away, but still, Uh I was like, no camera, crud. but I, you learn we, we were in a vehicle, and a young bull elephant charged the vehicle. Uh, so I got to see my the tracker was uh, from the tribe of Shona uh, or uh-huh. yeah, something like that. And um, uh-huh. that bull he was at the back of the truck, and when that bull elephant came out, it was a younger one, but when he came out, that guy lost his mind yelling, <laughs> go, go, go. Um,
0: yeah, yeah uh it, what an experience so i mean that's you know just as you describe it in your enthusiasm yeah you know it's just such a magical place i think my wife and i uh, our first trip there was in 1995 and and you know we figured it'd be a once in a lifetime deal and and everyone said you know who i'd talked to who had been there before us they said you know gosh you're going to be planning your next trip before you even you know land back in america and i thought you know that that just that won't happen we don't have the budget to do that and, and you know thankfully we we fell into the industry, and and uh, well, we just we just uh, bought tickets the other day. We're heading heading back over in July. I think that's my 14th trip over there. So, uh, you know, a- again, you know, we weren't born into money. Um, her, her parents were both school teachers. My parents were, you know, school teachers, and and I wouldn't be able to to do a t- you know a tenth of the stuff I've done the last 17 years if it wasn't. Uh, for being able to make a living in the outdoors. It's just created a, a lot of wonderful opportunities, but I just love hearing the enthusiasm in your voice and the detail that you describe of being in Africa, and to me that's what hunting is all about, no matter where it is you're going.
1: Oh, yes, and where are you going this trip?
0: This trip is going to be in uh, in a central part of South Africa, um, a place that we're looking to do some booking for there. It was a place that invited us to come do some TV shows with them, but it was right when we were getting out of TV, and and we just uh, couldn't get the timing right and uh, quite a few of my friends have gone over and hunted with this with this outfit and have had just great reviews so we're going to do that and then take a little uh, um, time to go explore Cape Town we've been to South Africa a lot but we've never been to Cape Town and, you know you mentioned flying into Bulawayo and, and you know spending a couple of days there before going on your hunt and and see that's just a prime example you know it was the, the hunting that took you there but I bet I bet the sights, sounds, and smells of the city of Bulawayo are something that that you'll never forget.
1: No, and it's it, well, I was certainly a tourist there. The luck of being able to stay with people that are born and raised in Zimbabwe was what made that. They they were gracious hosts, took me around to show me different sites, and something. Their son, which is a friend of mine, they even said we we're driving around. They said well, here's where he went to high school, and here's where this person. And so one of the gentlemen that was a professional hunter in training has since moved out of Zimbabwe and now lives in uh, the Toronto area. Oh, he, So when he mentions something, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I went by that. Or, <laughs> yeah, that was neat. And, so it's, and then he's introduced me to some friends of his that are still PHs over in, uh, in Zimbabwe. So it's been a really neat, well, it's the whole world the community gets very small and you really find a lot of good people that just will help you.
0: You do. It's 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 such a it's such a neat feeling and you know people that don't have a whole heck of a lot to their life and you know their their number one thing is family and and friends and you know really puts things into perspective. We took the boys um we went on a month long safari in Zimbabwe and maybe and went through South Africa when they were 7 and 9. It, they each got to pick one animal, you know, that they wanted to hunt, and that was it. I didn't want them, you know, being the kids who went over there and just shot things to shoot, shoot things. So we made them, you know, each a very, very special um, hunt. But but before we went, they did a little tiny toy drive through their school, um, and then also through the church. So they took uh, two big suitcases full of tiny toys, and we went. Uh, in the refugee camps, into some you know homeless shelters, and and g- they got to give these kids these toys and talk a little bit. And, you know, seven and nine years old now they're 15 and 17, and and that's something they're still writing about and you know in their school reports today, just what that experience was was like. You know, it wasn't about the honey, and it wasn't about the you know the lodges we stayed in, it was you know the the kids who couldn't afford shoes and they they you know literally flattened out water bottles and had them tied onto their feet you know with baling twine or right. you know the the ki- the kids who in the refugee camps had t shirts you know sewn to their skin because they didn't want the you know the shirts to get stolen from them i mean things that you that people just have no clue what goes on in the other side of the world and and again we have hunting to thank for uh, for exposing us to those things. Okay
1: you since you have a booking service I think a lot of Americans that have you know sat there and said oh I want to hunt elk or I want to hunt mule deer all things that are on my list of animals I want to I want to chase but I think they all think oh I'll never be able to go to Africa it's way too expensive Mm -hmm. that's really not the case is it
0: (laughs) you know that's a really good point Um, you know there there's an outfit we book uh, Elk hunts for and people are booking them left and right you know they're they're 10,500 for for the elk hunt which you know is an average you know outfitted elk hunt out west now and you know you can go to you can go to africa and uh, airfare included and for you know about seven thousand seventy five hundred, come away with a half dozen animals and and uh, yeah and you know, see so much game I mean, you know you can go see 12 15 species of game animals in a day over there at the the wildlife is phenomenal, but yeah, it's you know the South African plains game hunt is not necessarily a rich man's sport, like a lot of people uh, misconceive. It's it's doable, and you know even if you don't have a big budget, it's something you can you know save away for a few years. And, and uh, I, I'm sure you're probably already looking to make another trip back there, you know, sometime in your life. And that happens to a lot of people who go over there. It's a it's a fun place to see.
1: Oh, it is, and, and once you get over there, you realize everything that you've seen is just the tip of the iceberg and you want to go back there's so much more to see.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And yeah, that's in life short. It's uh, you want to you want to cherish those experiences and take in as many as you can. So, that's the return trip.
1: <laughs> well, now if somebody wanted to talk with you further about booking a trip to Africa or any of the other destinations, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
0: You know, the best way is is just on my website. They can go there, and, and I have a, a little uh, um, tab there on my home page. It just says Booking Service, so they can see. And, you know, again, I'm not a big uh, booking contractor. I'm just going with a few people in, in select areas of the of the world where we've hunted and, and experiences that I that I think people would like. Uh, you know, so, so they can get on my website. It's just my name, just Scott scotthaugen.com, S-C-O-T-T-H-A-U-G-E-N.com. And look at it there, and I have pretty much everything laid out, and including videos on there, prices and everything, so people can take a look. And if they're serious, they can drop me an email, and we can connect on the phone, and I can answer any further questions from there.
1: There really is just a number of areas you're covering. Uh, there's so many interesting things uh, you've got listed for the books. Uh, what are some of the? If for the listeners, what are some of the magazines that you're? You're generally in that they could they could have a look at.
0: Oh man, there's been so many over over the years out west here. There's one called Salmon Trout Steelheader. I've been writing for them for over 20 years now. Um, have have done a lot uh, a lot of western based uh, magazines lately as as kind of the national magazines have gone uh, uh, gone away, other than you know Sports of Field and so forth, the uh, you know Outdoor Life and Field and Stream. A lot of the other you know big national kind of reaching magazines have have kind of i guess broken down in, into uh small regional magazines. so a lot of the you know regional magazines i write for um now where i do most of my stuff out west here uh a lot of the nationwide probably the biggest one are the game and fish publications um uh, they uh called yeah they're just called game and fish magazines and they're in about every state and i i write for for most of those uh Monthly issues. So um, like sometimes the Idaho, they
1: the Oregon, the uh, Washington. Yeah,
0: yep, yep. And uh, most of my articles run in the eleven western states. Uh, I'll write a couple features a year that'll run nationwide. I think Field and Stream is doing a story on us where uh, they interviewed me on some fishing up in Alaska, and I I'm not sure if that's the June or July issue um, that's coming out. But on a national platform, that's that's one of the bigger ones. Um, oh, written neat. a few things, f- yeah, for Outdoor Life, and and. Uh, Oh gosh, Northwest Sportsman. There's another national one called American Shooting Journal. Um, it's it's more of a gun-oriented magazine. But um, but I read read a monthly column in there called Road Trips, and it's uh, basically hunting opportunities around North America. And so, yeah, all, all kinds of options out there.
1: Great. Well, I'll have a list of some of these in the show notes for the listeners, so they can access this. But most importantly, I'll have the link to your website so that anybody can just easily jump in and and contact you that way uh, for any of your personal items, your books, uh, or through your booking service. And then I'll have a link for your Facebook page as well. So, uh, Scott, I really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure of catching up with you. Uh, Again, I love the show. I encourage the listeners to go out and like that show so we can get seasons two and three on and uh, maybe some of your older content as well as uh, this ramps up
0: yeah you never know and and, uh no i I appreciate that and i appreciate your kind words and yeah that's that's the biggest thing is hunters being heard and you know they can just take a few minutes and get out there and give us a favorable rating and say hey we'd love to see more hunting shows or more seasons uh, you know of the hunt again it's not a selfish thing but it's a an opportunity to get more hunting shows, you know, showing globally on, on Netflix. And, and if we don't ask for it, like I say, the, the anti-hunters are out there pounding the pavement hard, and, and uh, there are as many of us as there are of them. So we need to team up. We're all in this together. And, and if we want to see the future of hunting succeed, this is a, this is a very important platform to, to see come to fruition.
1: Very true, very true. Well, thank you for your time. And I hope you have a great afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your morning, I guess, and then in the rest of your afternoon.
0: Hey, thank you, Jason. Keep up the good work. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks. Thank you for your time. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show and were able to be entertained and maybe learn a thing or two. This week, I want to welcome Killin' Sticks, maker of premium carbon fiber arrows, to the show as sponsors these guys are really knocking it dead so i encourage you to head over to their website and check them out at killin'sticks.com. join me here each week for more interviews hunting stories and tips and make sure to hit the subscribe button and get this show delivered to your inbox every week and be sure to leave a review on the show uh, on the platform you use to listen so that others can find the show as well. For more information on the show and guests, please check out the show notes. You can access links and see additional resources on topics discussed. Also, head over to my website at www.oawjs.com to catch up on what I am up to and sign up for upcoming giveaways.
2: Thanks, and have a great day. Come summertime, we're feeling fine Fishing on the lake Flipping jigs and Carolina rigs From early morning till real late Bonfires on Creek Bank Kick back a couple beers Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors Next year's ducks until you know winter's on the way Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we We command the outdoors. Yeah, we we command the outdoors. So grab your guns and shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors round here, we command the outdoors.